Absolutely phenomenal to see you all here tonight. I hope uh, you're anticipus for what God is going to do here. I know that we're all excited. I'm going to need you guys to turn this mic on for me. That would be wonderful. Mike, come on up here, bro. Um, so, a couple, couple cool things happening right now. Um, this past Friday, men from at least ten different churches that we know of gathered for two and a half hours and just prayed. And it was one of those moments that we all that were there just got a phenomenal picture of the call in our life to be men that are patriarchs, men of prayer that are sons and our wives and our daughters may see us as men of prayer as well. And so just to share a little bit of his experience, I've asked Mike to come up. This is Mike McCann. Everyone say hi, Mike. Yeah, Mike. Mike, tell us a little bit about your experience, man, just from uh, Friday. Uh, thanks, Mark. Uh, well, first, uh, since being saved, I've gotten the honor and privilege to see many different acts of Christ, from baptisms to engagements to weddings to kids being born and kids on the way. But I'll tell you what, uh, last Friday night was something I was a little apprehensive about at first, uh, to be honest, I, I didn't really know what to expect, never been to anything like that or heard anything like that, but uh, once, once getting there, the amount of, of worship and prayer going on, and as Noah said earlier, it, it wasn't rote. It, it was true worship and true prayer. You, you could almost feel it in the building. It was, it was truly awe-inspiring to to worship God how he's supposed to be worshipped. And uh, I, my prayer and my hope now is for the, the women out there that you guys can experience that this Friday to, as fully as I was able to experience it. And uh, I'll certainly never forget it, and I look forward to, to future prayer nights. Awesome. Mike McCann, everyone, give it up for him. Thanks, brother. Mike did a better job than I could ever do uh, this Friday night. Women. Uh, how many females here tonight? Any females here? Sweet, all four of you. It's great to have you. Uh, this this Friday is your, your opportunity. Seven o'clock at the realm. A chance just to be reminded of what we are, dust. And so I want you to come, women. Come ready. Come um, waiting for God to move. It should be an awesome time. Another thing I want to mention to you is tonight, you notice that Jeremy uh, isn't leading us in worship. In fact, uh, he's 9,000 miles away in Hunsuan, Laos, right? We've, uh, I was actually, funny enough, G-chatting with him this morning, and uh, he said to tell you all hi. They're having a great time so far, and it's been awesome. But uh, the guy leading us in worship and the team up here is from uh, August Gate, the church that we're going to be planting down in Sular this coming uh, August with Noah and Todd and the guys. And so, Josh, it was great to have you here. Uh, so, so glad that you're leading us. Give it up for Josh. Did a great job. Yeah. Um, tonight is, uh, is interesting because we, we've ended the Gospel of Luke, a year and ten month journey. And there was some discernment that we all put into, like, so what do we do next? And for those of you guys that have been around, you know that eventually we're going to get to First John here in a few weeks. In the meantime, we thought it was absolutely crucial to take two weeks and to show what happens in the early parts of Acts. And so tonight we're going to wrestle with a passage that has caused a tremendous amount of angst in the church and beyond. I'm excited to wrestle with it with you. 
I feel like that God has us here tonight for a very distinct purpose. And so I hope you're ready to go. When I was a young youth pastor, uh, 19 years old, I, I was youth pastoring this small uh, United Methodist Church in Lebanon, Illinois. And uh, I, I, I didn't know how to say no, right, as most young youth pastors don't. And so this elderly woman came up to me one, uh, one whatever day it was. And she said, hey, Mark, can your students uh, mem- help us with the puppet show? And, you know, nothing against puppets except everything. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't know if you are into puppets, but, man, you know. And it's, they're cool for kids before they're born. But after that, it's just like, don't even, you know. And so I, I, I couldn't say no to this woman. And so we show up and she'd asked me to try to have my students memorize their lines. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? It's a puppet show, you know. You can look at your lines, right? And, uh, and so, so they show up and this woman, after five minutes, it became very, very clear that my students, you know, didn't meet her expectations. And uh, I had been hurt a lot in the church up to that point. But at that moment, I, was, I could have never been prepared for what was about to happen. This woman stood up in front of me and my ten students and literally yelled at the top of her lungs at me about my family, about my students and their families for like five or six minutes. I don't know if you've ever had one of those moments where you want to take a puppet and, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it was tough. It was tough. I took my students down the hallway. We were all crying. I mean, you know, they've never, right? I'm 19 year old. And I'm just, I'm freaking out. You know, I'm like, whoa, like what just happened? They're crying. They're hugging me. They're making sure I'm okay. You know, and, and um, do you ever have one of those moments in your life where it was so tough, it was so rough going through, but you know it was, it was exactly what was supposed to happen? See, here's what I notice in Scripture, and work with me here. What I see consistently happening in the Word of God is that man keeps having problems, okay? It starts at the fall, and then pretty much from there, it's the Scripture is riddled with our problems, our depravity, our darkness, our uncertainty, our lack of faith. I mean, it just riddled, and as many of us can attest to, it didn't stop with the writing of the Scriptures. It's continued in our life. But what I've noticed is that the Scripture is also riddled with God's answer to man's problems. And it's a lot of times not the way that man wanted it, or even man was expecting it, or anticipating it. But God keeps answering man's issues. From Noah to Abraham and David, all the way culminating in the person of Christ. He keeps answering man's problems. In fact, allowing man's problems that he may answer it. Amen? And there's this concept that we talk about a lot here at Matthias called sovereignty. Let me try to explain that for you briefly. The sovereignty of God, we would put it this way, God's will by God's power for God's glory. There's many ways to put it, but stay with me here. God is working out His will by His power alone for His glory alone, His namesake. And so whether it be the storms in your life or whatever it is, things are happening in your life that He may receive ultimate glory. And so me with this 
woman who blasted me, what that taught me was how to deal with conflict because the next two and a half years, I had to see this woman over and over and over at church. And she looked at me weird for the next two and a half years. And I knew that she talked about me bad because other people like their opinions of me. And I had to show up every Sunday and love her. And so that as I moved on through life, I could better understand how to deal with conflict. I could better understand forgiving one another. I, I, it was a brilliant time in my life, as hard as it was tonight. Man has a problem. At the end of the Gospel of Luke, we see Jesus ascend, which is pretty amazing, amen? Like He goes to heaven, which is just a phenomenal moment, and He goes and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, but it creates for man a problem. The problem is, like, now what? I know you told us to go to Jerusalem and wait for power on high, but, but you're not here anymore. Like, so, so what are we to do? And Jesus says, right, go to Jerusalem and what? And wait. Okay, still, but you're not here anymore, Jesus. So, like, you know, I can picture the guys, like, looking at each other, excited about the call in their life, but just a little bit wondering deep down now, What? Tonight, that question is answered. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Tonight we're switching to the ESV version of the Bible. It's the closest literal translation of the Scriptures. That's why we're moving from NIV uh, to the ESV. We'll have the Scriptures for you on the screen tonight. We're going to eventually have some pew Bibles, but recommend that you go out and support your local Christian bookstore or local Amazon.com and pick one up if you're able to. Acts is a continuation of the Gospel of Luke. In other words, Luke writes both volumes, making him the second biggest writer in the New Testament. Right? Paul writes most of it, but Luke comes in second, writes a tremendous amount of the New Testament. It's written to the same person, Theophilus, in Luke's case, for who Jesus would be. And so you must understand that as Luke continues on, The Gospel of Luke focuses on the teachings and the life of the person of Christ. Acts now focuses on something else. It's that something else that we're going to see here tonight. Verse 1, you guys all ready to go? Here we go, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. I love that because you say the word Pentecost and people instantly, like they start squirming, right? Listen to this. Here's what I find interesting. The Holy Spirit, Pentecost, is for believers what Jesus is for many non-believers. What I mean by that, if you're standing with a group of people that do not believe in Christ and you mention the word Jesus, things get weird. With evangelical Christians, sometimes when you throw the Holy Spirit in the middle of the room, things get weird. Because people aren't sure if the tambourines are coming out or the streamers are going to dangle from it. We're just not sure. Many of us, I'm sure, have a ton of baggage with this idea. Tonight is about breaking down the baggage and listen to this. Teaching the passage. So I want you to wipe out all of your preconceived ideas about what the Pentecost is or was or is now. And I want us together to learn afresh what this story means. Are you with me? And so look, I don't know what kind of baggage you have when it comes to understanding and learning about the Holy Spirit. I know I sure have some. But tonight it's about together learning the Word of God. First of all, Pentecost. Random word? No. We've talked about many, many times 
Uh, Penta, right? Like, do you guys know Penta, right? What does that mean? Five, thank you. Brilliant individuals you are. There are 50 days, five, 50 days between Passover and Pentecost. Pentecost is the third major feast in the Jewish ritual life. It's called the Feast of Weeks in some traditions, Leviticus. It's also called the Feast of the Harvest. Now what would happen is Jews would get together and many Jews would stay in Jerusalem from the Passover to the Pentecost. There's only 50 days there. If you're walking everywhere, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to spend four days walking, four days back. Are you with me? So many of the Jews, because this is one of those pilgrimage festivals, would just stay in Jerusalem. And so they're there celebrating this idea of the harvest. Now things get really, really interesting when you start understanding what the disciples have been doing. They've seen the risen Christ. Jesus said, go to Jerusalem and wait. Does that strike anyone as interesting? Go back to the city where they killed me and where there's like a tremendous amount of tension. You guys go there and wait. Sound good? And power is going to come down on high. Don't you love how many of the brilliant, powerful moments in Scripture are when God thrusts people right into tension that He might be the victor. So He tells the disciples, you go to Jerusalem where they just hung me on a cross and you wait there for power to come on high. Scripture says that they were all in one place, that they all, in Acts chapter 1, mentions them as 120 together believers in the Gospel of Christ. Verse 2. And suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. You've been waiting for something to happen. And Scripture says, and suddenly, all of a sudden, this sound, not an actual feeling like a wind on your face, hold me jack tight, no, not one of those, but the literal sound of wind rushing down from where? From where? From heaven, which is key. When you begin to talk about things that are supernatural or difficult to explain, Luke to Theophilus, instantaneously says, this act is from where? It's from heaven. What's happening here is not to be confused with anything else. This is from heaven. The root word in the Greek for wind is the same word for breath and the same root for spirit. It's pneuma. Pneuma, yeah? Some of you guys have seen some of the Rob Bell pneumas. That's where that word comes from. So the same word breath and wind and spirit suddenly rushes down from heaven. Now, I want to tell you guys something. Up to this point, your connection with God has been through devoutness and has been through your bloodline to the Jewish culture. You're born a Jew, you're expected to be connected with God. You're born in particular families. You're from a particular tribe in Israel. You're expected to be connected with God. Can I tell you 
when the Holy Spirit comes down in this moment, what happens? Can I tell you, please? Put up 1 Corinthians for me. Look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Verse 13, friends, look at this. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or what? Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. Look, many of us have a ton of baggage when it comes to the idea of church. You've been burned. You've seen wrong ideologies of what the church should be or can't be or would be. Do you understand that in this moment in history, Scripture says suddenly... Your connection with God goes from bloodline to all of a sudden, because of the gospel of Christ and the blood of Jesus, now the Spirit comes down, baptizes believers, and connects us as one body in one Spirit, Jew or Greek. Do you understand this moment in history? This is the beginning of the church. The nation of Israel and its connection to God now must go through Christ. And the Spirit drops and the church is born. I have never connected in all of my studies and readings of the Pentecost that moment in history, but we must, if we don't, we miss it. And so the same Spirit connects you and I, making us one body. What did Jesus pray in John chapter 17? May they be one as we are one. Scripture says that through the Spirit, we, you and I, believers in Christ, are one. Because we have the same Spirit. In one moment in history, the body, the church, is created, designed. Yeah, she gets torn and tattered. Yeah, there's a lot of communities that say they're about love and aren't. There's a lot of communities that struggle with gossip. There's a lot of communities that attempt to forgive but don't. And the moment that you and I disconnect Matthias's lot from those bodies that struggle, we are in the wrong. We are a body that struggles too. We are a body that aren't perfect. We are a body that need the Spirit of Christ's empowerment. We are a body that in this moment should not say, oh, oh, look at Matthias' lot. We're doing everything perfectly, loving him and loving his. What a great mission statement. No, we here need the grace of Christ just like everyone else a part of the body. And so don't for a second, please, disconnect what's happening here from anyone else. That's one of the powers of the prayer night. You look around and what do you see? You see one body, one spirit, in desperate need together of the grace of God. The Pentecost then breathes church. Verse 3 says this. And things start to get interesting here. And divided tongues, as of fire, appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues 
as the Spirit gave them utterance. You start talking like this, you better start teaching the Word. Are you guys with me? If you want to start diving into Scripture that talks about speaking in tongues and utterances and the Holy Spirit's power, then we better turn to the Word. Are you guys with me? Now listen, for this next piece of Scripture, you're going to have to stay closely with me. Alright? I want to show you guys the difference in language. And there's a lot of problems with the language in the evangelical world when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? Some people say this and mean that. Some people say this and mean that. Right now, we're going to come together, form a, co- a common rhetoric that we may be able to communicate with one another. Are you with me? First of all, in Acts chapter 1, verse 5, Jesus says that you need to wait in Jerusalem because you're going to undergo a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, I've heard baptism of the Holy Spirit a lot in my life. And it's been attributed to a lot of different things. Anyone else? Let me explain to you what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is that Acts 1-5 talks about. We'll see it in other passages of the Scripture. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is in this moment of history... The moment where Greek word baptizo, these individuals are immersed, overwhelmed, now accompanied with Christ through the gift of the Holy Spirit that marks them as believers. Now let me say this another way. The moment that you receive Jesus, that He calls you to Himself and He implants faith in your heart, is the moment that Scripture says we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. That is when you and I are baptized in the Holy Spirit. Baptism of the Holy Spirit happens one time in your life. The moment of salvation. The process of salvation. Now Scripture, and we're going to make our arguments clear here, separate baptism from being filled with the Spirit. Are you with me? So when Jesus says, go to Jerusalem, you're going to be baptized with the Spirit of God, what He's saying is, is at this moment in history, because the Spirit's going to come like it's promised, it's going to happen all at once for all those who believe. But from here on out, it'll be for those people who profess Jesus Christ as Lord, and at that moment they'll be sealed with the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? Now all this will make sense here in a little bit. Uh, put up Acts chapter 4 for me. I want to start to show you some of the differences. All right? Acts chapter 4 verse 8 says this, Then Peter, what's the word? Filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, etc., etc., etc. Now, hold on a second. If the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens in Acts chapter 2, then what's happening here? Uh, You and I both know that Peter was there. Peter was one of them. In fact, and we'll study this uh, later, in fact, Peter is the one, after all these people have gathered, stands up and starts proclaiming the gospel, so we know he's there. But this idea of filled starts coming up. Next slide. Uh, Acts chapter 4 verse 31 says this. And when they had prayed, this is all the believers together, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all, what? Filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. Again, this is not another salvation experience. There's something to do with the Spirit's ability to, man its, to manifest itself and to fill individuals. We'll keep going and we'll keep explaining. Next slide. Acts chapter 5, verse 3. But Peter said, this gets really interesting, Ananias, why has Satan 
filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. For those of you guys that know the story, you know that this Ananias dies a few verses later. So all of a sudden now this concept is, is introduced that not only can you be filled with the Holy Spirit, but there's also other things you can be filled with. The, the, the insides of us is not just for the Holy Spirit necessarily, but can be filled with others. Next slide. Acts chapter 7 verse 55. But he, who's the he here? Anyone know the story? Acts chapter 7. Anybody? Stephen? Yeah? First Christian martyr post Jesus. Verse 55. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, he was clearly a believer before this time. So when the Spirit manifests itself, baptizes the believers, he has already received this. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into the heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And those of you guys who know the story, you know that at the end of the story, Stephen says what? Father, Jesus, forgive them, right? For they know not what they're doing. He he emulates the exact same words of Christ at the end of his death. Next slide. Acts 13. This gets interesting. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? This is Paul talking to a magician that he's calling out here in Acts 13. Study the story later. It's brilliant. Are you seeing a pattern? There's all of this language that Luke is using through the Gospel of Acts, or through the, through the book of Acts, to talk about this idea of being filled. Next slide. It's not over yet. Romans chapter 1. Paul writes this. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, a maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God. A pretty overwhelming, encouraging picture. Insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. I love that last one, right? My, my parents used that one on me one time. They list like all these things and at the end. It's, it's a great verse. But another piece where we see that you can be filled with something else. Next slide. A couple more. A couple more. Let's make this overwhelming. Ephesians 3, of verse 19, the writer says this, And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. This is when Paul is writing the, the famous prayer uh, over the church in Ephesus. That you may be what? Filled with all the fullness of God. Well, what he's saying is that you may be filled with the Spirit of God... Which because Jesus has said, now I must go so the Spirit may come, can reside in the fullness of God. You may be filled with it. Now look, 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 look. Let's be clear. We struggle with language because we don't know how to best describe it. Okay? We say things like, you know, Christ living in my heart and us relationship. Are you guys at least getting a picture of some of the imagery of where we get this from? A piece of these writers of the New Testament talk about being filled like it's on our, on our insides. Are you with me? So it's that picture of soul and what's being filled. Next slide. Last, last verse here. Ephesians chapter 5.18 uh, says this, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Okay. A lot of verses. What does it mean? Right? Put up the Holy Spirit slide one. Here's what it means. I'm going to try to sum it up in four points. First of all, if you're taking notes, you want to write these, these four things down. The baptism of the Spirit occurs at the moment of salvation. So from now on, if there's ever a point when you hear the term baptism 
of the Holy Spirit and it's not associated with salvation, then it's, it's not the picture of Scripture. The picture of Scripture is clear. The baptism of the Spirit occurs at the moment of salvation. Number two. The filling of the Holy Spirit is the Spirit's sovereign work in sealed hearts. I want to pause here and mention this to you. In the beginning, God. Genesis chapter 1. You guys all remember that? Great chapter. We're talking about going back through Genesis again here. Just kidding. Um, In the beginning, God. The word there is Elohim. Father, Son, and Spirit. The Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity, has been present ever since the beginning of Scripture. We've talked about this before. Problem is, is that many of us have created a God in our own mind. In other words, the traditionalist God is Father God. My grandfather rarely, if ever, talked about Jesus. For him, it was Father God. It was Yahweh. I revere Him. I don't do anything to disrespect Him. I definitely wouldn't wear holy jeans in church, right? That was my grandfather. Evangelical Christians came along, overcompensated, and said, whoa, 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 whoa. Through Jesus now, we have relationship. It's all about relationship. Like, we can be freed now through, because the bondage of sin is off of us. And so, we can wear holy jeans. We can give each other high fives in church. All of a sudden, there is this freedom. The charismatics came, up, came along and said what? Whoa, you're both wrong. You're both missing the Holy Spirit. Each segregated people group overcompensating for the other. And each dangerously creating a God in their own minds that wasn't the God of the Scriptures. The God of the Scripture is Father, Son, Spirit. Each necessary For A, our obedience, and B, our picture of who God is. And so understand this. And Matthias' lot, we are going to do our best through God's plan to teach about Father God, Christ, and the Holy Spirit. And if there's ever a moment where you feel yourself leaving out a piece of that Trinity in your walk with Christ, then you have a displaced view of who God is. Number three. This is where things get a little bit interesting. A follower of Jesus is filled with the Spirit as God moves. Now let me pause there. In the Old Testament, this is really what this relates to. In the Old Testament, the Spirit was present. Amen? In the Old Testament, the Spirit is present. The Spirit is moving in people still, but isn't necessarily indwelling in people. The Spirit is moving when God would have the Spirit move. Right? So all of a sudden, a follower of Jesus is filled with the Spirit as God moves and or as the follower yields to the Spirit's power. Let's talk about yield, shall we? So you're filled with the Holy Spirit, different from baptized. You're filled with the Holy Spirit when God chooses to do so and or when you and I as followers of Christ yield our existence to the move of the Spirit of God. Scripture says that the Spirit is the comforter. Scripture says that the Spirit is the convictor. Scripture says that the Spirit reveals all truth in the Scripture. All of these roles and many more are what the Spirit does. And when you and I yield to that, the Spirit fills. Let me explain it this way. Because we have no better way. You only got so much space in there. 
you know? And, and I don't, I don't, you know, I kind of, that's kind of funny, right? Some more than others, right? Like, but in, like, and, and again, we're talking about spiritual things here, so this gets, this, this is a mystery. Let, let's be, let's be clear. But light and darkness can't coexist. But, but Paul talks about the raging war that's happening inside. So it's like this constant, right? You feel it, don't you? I mean, you know, like there's, there's times in your walk with Christ where it, you, you, like you're completely yielded and you're filled with the, with the Spirit of God and He's guiding you. You're hearing better. When you open the Scriptures, it seems to be talking more. And then there's other times where you're just caught up in your own deal. Sin. Deceit. Envy. Distrust. All the things that we read about earlier. You see what happens? Uh, put, put it up in number four. We'll sum it up this way, what I'm just talking about. Number four says this. Number four says this. A follower of Jesus, look at this, must yield to the Spirit to bear fruit. Uh, have you guys heard of the scripture, the fruit of the Spirit, right? So a follower of Jesus yields to the Spirit to bear fruit. Or the yielding to the sin nature will cause a diminishing of the fullness of the Spirit in one's life. This is what Paul was talking about when he said, the war is raging within him. Look, Jesus said this, you can't serve two masters. You can't. You serve one master. You yield to one Lord. Now, I've heard people say before, well, you know, Christ, He's just... He's my Savior, but He's not really, he's not really Lord. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Christ is never not Lord. You see the difference? The difference is whether or not you and I are yielding to the Lordship of Christ. Are you with me? Christ is never not Lord. He is Lord always. It's whether you and I are yielding to that Lordship of Christ. Sum up real quick before we move on. The Spirit of God comes down and indwells in believers. Guiding, directing, speaking, etc. And then from there, at certain moments like we've already seen, God will choose to implant a more manifested presence of who He is upon someone. In Acts 4, it caused the room to shake. In Acts 7, it caused Stephen to give this amazing sermon. In Acts, in Acts 3, it will cause Peter to, in Acts, later on in Acts 2, it will cause Peter to do the exact same thing. And so the times in our life where we have this sense that something more is happening, it's that supernatural mystery of the Spirit guiding and directing in our life. And so the question for you and I is, A, do you want that? When you signed up for the Gospel, Christ called your name. I said, come on, lost sheep, I'm going to throw you on my back. Did you understand what the cost was? That it was yielding to His Lordship. And that the blessing is that the Spirit would then reside in us. Hey, can I ask you guys a question? Do you see this as a blessing? For so long, because of our baggage, we've seen this as a curse. Do you guys understand how big of a blessing this is? Do you understand that in this moment, when the church has started... That this is exactly what they were waiting on. Now what? I'll tell you now what. Now I live inside of you. 
can we just take a moment and say, thank you, God, for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for giving it. Thank you for the blessing of it. It's not a curse, no matter who, no matter how people frame it, no matter what happens with it. Let me say this. Many of you guys just heard the word tongues from the last scripture. It's clear, and we're going to study here in a second, that that Greek word is talking about languages. Not a prayer language or not some of the other things that you guys have heard. These are legitimate languages from legitimate people groups from legitimate lands. Now listen, when it comes to the Spirit and the Spirit's work, uh, how many any of you guys have a dollar? Anyone have a dollar bill for me? Come on, dollar bill. Here we go, thank you, thank you. Dollar bill, it's green. My mom always said the green never changes colors. Here's a green dollar. My mom's here tonight, she's never heard me say that before. Uh, we'll talk about that later, Mom. Um, so here's a dollar. Now, uh, some of you guys have maybe heard and hopefully never been a part of this thing called counterfeiting. Interesting concept. People take the dollar bill and copy it, right? And they do this with Xeroxes and now like more high-tech machines, right? But, but here's the thing. To have a counterfeit dollar, there has to be something real. You can't create something and then it be counterfeit. So to have a counterfeit, there has to be something real underneath it. And so let me share with you, as we continue to talk about the Holy Spirit, there is real spiritual happenings happening all around us. There are counterfeits out there, yes. When it comes to speaking in tongues even, or when it comes to gatherings, I'll tell you this, we're not here to judge that. We're here to scripturally hold it up against the Word. And in our gatherings, make sure that we're following the Scriptures, knowing that there is real. So for those of you guys that because of the counterfeit have looked at the Holy Spirit as a curse, let me tell you something, it is a blessing. And it's time for Matthias's lot to start opening our hearts more to the work of the Holy Spirit. And when we do that, I'm telling you what, we will be blessed, challenged, and encouraged. We must not be fearful of it. It has to be something that we're open to learning about, that the dialogues begin. What does Scripture say? Thank you for that dollar. Appreciate it. I was hoping for a 20, but next time. Let's keep going. Verse 5. Verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews. <laughs> Uh, interesting. De- devout men from every nation under heaven. Now, this is an idiom. Literally, not every nation under heaven, but many nations. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. Let me paint the picture for you. All of the 120 were gathered together in Scripture says one place. Uh, later, it will say a house. We're not exactly sure what this place looked like. There are a lot of them in there. Tongues of fire begin to rest on them, and they begin speaking in other tongues. Scripture says other languages. All the Jews who are there, who are present, and other people who are there and present because of the Pentecost, hear that. Do you guys see what happens? They're like, whoa, whoa. Like, do you hear that? And all of a sudden they're looking, and they see this, I, I picture just a room packed full of people you can see through the windows. And so they they go up, and Scripture says they start hearing their own native language coming out of the room. And so so here's how they respond. Look at this, verse 7. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who were speaking Galileans? 
Now, if you're a Jew, to be from Galilee, have you guys ever heard of the word simpleton? Awesome. Um, so, if you're a Jew, you viewed those people from Galilee as simpletons. And so their, their recognition here is, whoa, whoa, like aren't all those, they're all Galileans in there. So some of you guys will ask, so hold on a second. So, well, yeah, the, the disciples were from Galilee, but what about all these other people here? Well, it's possible they're either distinguishing the eleven or they're talking about the whole crew. We're really not sure. But what we know is they're like, whoa, something is happening inside of that room. That it, it, look at this, look at this, look at this. Verse 8. And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? They're bewildered, they're amazed, they're walking up and they're hearing all of the tongues and languages from all of these different places in this one room. Now, I'm going to do my best to pronounce all this. Please do not laugh at me. Verse 9. Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and Apostolites, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the what? And here's where the Scripture distances itself from those who misinterpret the Pentecost. Are you with me? What are they talking about? They're not in there frivolously jumping about, hooting and hollering. It's a very focused time that the Spirit has filled them. Hold on a second. Keep in mind. Do you guys understand that the tongue piece to this, the language piece to this, is not because of the baptism. Are you with me? This is because of the what? This is because of the filling. Completely different. If this went along with all baptisms, then we would all participate in this. When we got baptized in the Spirit, it doesn't happen. This is a representation of the filling of the Spirit. They're all hearing in their own tongues, not gibberish. They're hearing the mighty works of God. They come up and they're hearing the Gospel proclaimed. They come up and out of the windows is coming. How great is our God. They're hearing all the traits of God. They're hearing about the promises of God. They hear outside of their window in their own tongue how amazing Yahweh is. Can you imagine that moment? This is not some story that should just be mystified and passed away. In this story, we see the true strategy of the Spirit. Hold on a second. What do you mean? What I mean is, the Spirit comes down, baptizes believers, and have you noticed? Now a crowd has gathered. And a crowd of Jews. A crowd of very potentially non-believing Jews. Why would I say that? Because here in a little bit, 3,000 people are going to come to Christ. Do you see the Spirit's strategy here? Get something happening all of a sudden people gather, they're beginning to question, and they're hearing in their own native tongue the gospel. Look at this. Verse 12. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? 
But others mocked and said, they are filled with new wine. Right? Like some people, some people come up and they're like, whoa, what kind of Jerusalem, you know, you know, grandpa sauce is happening. I mean, you know, whatever it is. It's like, hold on a second. This is like all these people are just drunk. But other people say this. Other people say, what does this mean? A challenge to you tonight from the Pentecost is that we would fit in the category of being a body that asks, so what does this mean? What is this? This story, this mystery, hard to understand, what does this mean for you, for I? What does it mean? What does it mean? Can I help describe what it means to me and maybe to you? Is this shows us the conception of the church that unites as one body, takes this gospel with the Spirit as the empower and as the revealer of truth, and the message of Jesus spreads. Now listen, at many different points in the history of the world, God has meant different things for different people. What I mean by that is, in the Old Testament, people are waiting on what? They're waiting on the Messiah. Okay? When the Messiah comes, now they're like trying to figure out, is this the Messiah? You and I are in a time frame where we know the Messiah came, we know the Messiah died, we know the Messiah risen. So let me tell you what this means for us. It means He's coming back. Because all of the promises keep being fulfilled. He promised the Spirit would come, it came. He promised the Spirit would empower, and it does. Read the book of Acts and the rest of Scriptures. The Spirit starts empowering the unlikely to do crazy things, and people start coming to Christ, not for our glory, but for His name's sake. Are you with me? And that's what the Spirit does. That's how you can test the Spirit. The Spirit will do, th- will do things that align with the Scriptures. If there's ever a time in your life when, you, when you're like, oh, this is a spiritual thing, it better line up with the Word of God. And if it doesn't, then it's not the Spirit. So the promises, the Messiah is coming back, and the other promise that you and I can hold on to tonight is that we have the blessed Holy Spirit for those of us who believe dwelling inside of us to empower, equip, reveal Convict. Now, what? Put up this last passage for me. Galatians chapter 5. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Church, and I say church, and I love church. I love it because it was God's design, the bride of Christ, which He'll return for one day, and that bride will be wearing a white wedding dress made pure by the blood of the Lamb. I say church, and I mean it. Church, may we walk by the Spirit of God. And may that war that's raging inside of us and the flesh tries to come up and grab pieces, it can only hold so much. May the Spirit win out 
And may we continue to yield and pray for God to fill us with His Spirit. Church, do you see it as a curse or a blessing? One more thing. Look, when you start talking about the Holy Spirit, this could be a 90-week series, 95. Tonight's just the beginning. But may we be encouraged by the promise of who the Spirit is in our life. And for those of you that don't believe, let me tell you something. The Gospel is completely life transformational. And I want to encourage you guys, for those who have viewed churches, this bunch of people that are messed up and screwed up, and why would I ever want to be a part of that? Let me tell you something. That's why I want to be a part of it. That's why I want to be a part of it. Because Christ gets the victory for taking a bunch of wretched souls and by His power changing us. Let's stand together. Here's what I want to do. I just want to have a couple minutes of silence. I just want to let all of this stuff, supernatural mystery of the Holy Spirit, just to sit on us. So let's just take a couple minutes and close your eyes. Let's turn the lights off and let's just have some, some moments tonight where we could just sit and listen. Listen for that whisper, that breath, that pneuma. Church, in your own way, let's take some minutes now and just ask God to fill us with the Spirit, to diminish our flesh, and to empower us as voices for the gospel. Let's take some time and pray for that as a body.